0: Before we start, let's, let's talk about where we've been. Chapter one, what would highlight in your mind? Chapter one. God has spoken. spoken, okay? Chapter, go ahead, Nate. Okay, both prophets and angels. Okay, chapter two. Superiority to Moses, chapter three. What we see in chapter three, Anybody, anything that just comes to your mind? Failure in the wilderness, oh, in the wilderness. okay? To be faithful. Okay. Okay? Let's get started this morning. You want to start? I'd like to read a couple of verses from chapter 3 as I get started with chapter 4. And to whom did he swear? Chapter 3, verse 18. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Now I want to stop right there for just a second and ask you a question. Disobedience and unbelief, are those two different things? They are, okay? okay when we start thinking about chapter four and we think about this predominantly uh, till we get to the later part of the chapter predominantly we're going to talk about entering entering his rest when these weren't able to enter that rest because of unbelief verse 18 they would not enter it because of disobedience. What's the two that would line up with that? How could those two line up with one another? Unbelief causes disobedience. I'm, I'm sorry? Unbelief causes disobedience. Okay. Everybody agree with that? Okay. Absolutely. And when we think about that, and we think about the things that God had promised... Under that, under that first covenant, and those that were disobedient to that, those that didn't follow his commands, then we recognize that that was something that he would not allow them to do, was to, enter, was to enter that rest. As we go in here, and again, as I brought up this last slide I had for chapter three, they weren't able to enter that rest because of sin, disobedience, and unbelief. Now, as we look at chapter 4, I'm going to look at the first 13 verses, roughly, of this chapter. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Therefore, let us fear, if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, if we have good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, after so long a time, just as been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who's entered his rest has himself also rested from his works and God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter his rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as of the division of soul, spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Verse 13, and there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. gonna stop there, go back and kind of... kind of pick apart a little bit of this because I think some of the things that he brings out here to these, to this audience and as well, I think to, as well to us um, is, is, is important. You know, the last chat as and we look at the last chapter. We just, we came from, from chapter three and Israel failed to enter God's rest. And The rest rest was a promise to the children of Israel as long as they were what? Obedient. As long as they were faithful. Now, and I want us to think about this. This rest included the land of Canaan, which was promised to Abraham. The writer now warns his readers that they too could fall. As we look at chapter 4, Let us fear. Therefore, again, based on what was just said, therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. What would this word fear that just jumps out at me when I see that? Let us fear. A lot of different directions you could go with that. Fear from a standpoint of reverence, a standpoint of respect, of, of awe. But I think there's something else here with this fear, based on what we just read in chapter three. What do you think about that? Mitch? It's, uh, it's tied in with the belief,
1: right? God made these promises, and the promises had consequences if you didn't follow his, uh, his law. And so if you believe God, then there would be fear of failing and suffering those consequences. If you don't believe God, then you may not care about what the consequences are because you don't believe. But if you have that belief, you will fear the consequences of those actions if you fail.
0: Okay. Anything, Alan?
2: I think in some ways it can tie back to chapter two as well, as the writer is calling on these examples from the old law. I think this, look at how they they made a mistake, the consequences, but at the same time, in a parallel way, he's already established in chapter two that this salvation, it's far worse to miss this one because actually that's what everything in the old law was actually trying to talk about. Even here, it's not that rest wasn't really the rest. So they missed that one. How much worse will it be if you cause yourself to miss out on this one in a a way too? Good point.
0: You know, I I think about when you you think of fear, are we talking about the kind of fear that would be like for spiders and snakes? different kind of fear? Based on what Mitch is talking about and what Alan's brought out, when you talk about fear and this particular fear, I think this writer is saying that, you know, let us fear, let us be aware, let us honestly contemplate the repercussions of not entering this rest, of disregarding this promise. The fear of God's wrath, I think that and, and as I look at this, and he continues to, from chapter chapter 3, chapter 4, he continues to look and refer back to Psalms 95. He can, he'll continue to do that. Um, just, again, looking at what was happening and the, the potential drifting, the potential sliding back, going back to Judaism, going back to the to their old ways. These are Christians who have embraced Christ. These are Christians, but not understanding and thinking about the way this writer goes about depicting who this Jesus is and the importance of embracing him, the importance of submitting to him. Um, I think, again, this is what, you know, again, he says, if any of you may seem to have come short of it, for indeed we have good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them. Why didn't it? Why didn't it profit them? Okay, they didn't act upon it. But again, it gets back to the unbelief, the disobedience. It gets back to their their hearts and how they were involved with, with God and how they responded to what he expected of them. Because it was not, and in the last part of this verse chapter of verse two says, because it was not, it was not united by faith in those who heard. How could it have been united in faith if it wasn't united? What's it get back to? What did they need to do that they failed to do? Were there those that responded and acted properly? Were there those who Embraced what God and were obedient to Him. Were there those that were obedient? You know, we're focused on a lot of these and the majority of these that were disobedient. But weren't there those that were that, that responded? There that were those that responded properly? Yeah, there were. There were those who submitted to God, that that gave their their hearts, their lives to God and, and and followed him properly. He refers back and he shows, and he constantly brings that up. This writer continues to bring that up to show who those that were faithful, those that were not, especially those who were not faithful, and because of that, they failed to enter this, they failed to enter the rest that was provided, that was offered to them. And and you think about that, let's think about this congregation. Let's think about the members that make up this group. Is it possible for us to, and again, we're gonna gonna get into that here shortly in the latter part of what we just read in 12 and 13, but is it possible for us to not enter the rest that's provided for us right now? Okay, how's that possible? Sorry?
3: I was just gonna say, we, we can listen, but not hear. Okay. And those people listened, they heard it all the time, but it didn't go to their heart, they okay. didn't hear.
0: Okay. This congregation should be united in the things that we do with regard to God. And I think when I, when I see this, as he brings this out, there were some that were not united. There were some because of their faith, because of their disobedience, and they weren't united with those who had that faith. And I think that's what he's bringing, bringing out here. For, for we who have believed enter that rest, And then again, he goes into Psalms chapter 95 and continues to do that. As I swore in my wrath, his anger, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. He has said somewhere concerning the seventh day and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. I have read through this and I've studied this particular part of Hebrews through the years, but this time in studying this, there was something that really kind of jumped out at me. And when I think about, and I'm going to try to depict this so that you could, you know, I think when we look back to, and, and, and and let's look at it from this standpoint, first of all, when we think about God resting on the seventh day from all his works, here's a mention of rest back when, where is this? Where is this quote coming from? Genesis. Genesis 2. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. What did, and you think about the Garden of Eden, what did he envision for man at that period of time when man was ejected from the garden? What should have happened? Okay, but I'm looking for something else. Okay. So when when God rested and we see this, why would this rider include this particular part of Genesis 2? Because the rest
2: started.
0: I believe that's what he's saying here. That's that the rest started here. God rested. He wanted he, he wanted his people. He wanted those I believe as well to have had that rest. Now, we think about that rest, and I want to I want to clarify this. What do we think of when it comes to the ultimate rest? Heaven. Okay? So what I'm asking you to think about here, and what I think he's asking, be right with you, Chris. What what I think he's asking them is. These, these brethren, the hearers of this, of this exhortation, as he's trying to build them up, think back to this period of time where God had this rest in mind for man. And then we see as it comes up, he had provided that same rest. When we think about the children of Israel and what he expected that they were to, to obtain or have this rest in the land of Canaan, but they failed to do that, and now it comes up to where he's saying to them now, and, it, and again, looking at verse 1, he says to them, lest we, you know, lest we, let, let us fear if that promise of rest remains, does that promise of rest remain? if you're a Christian in here today, when you became a Christian, did you enter Christ's rest? No. Okay. Anybody else? I
3: think you had access to it.
0: Okay. Chris?
1: So I do see a parallel that's being drawn here by the person who sure does sound a lot like Paul, Um, but I don't know that it is. Uh, The rest of that God did after his creation, the rest of canaan for the israelites that came out of it, uh, out of egypt and then the um the rest that i believe we look forward to I, I guess the question is do we consider that christianity or being faithful is that rest or do we consider that um, the rest that he eventually will refer to um, or as we're going over now is heaven um, but yeah, this, this all reminds me of how Paul talked to the, uh, the Gentiles, uh, I think it was on Mars Hill maybe, um, where he, he approached them from their own understanding. He's saying all these things because they are very familiar with these stories, with these things that he's referring to. And he's tr- using them to say, okay, this all points back to here though. This is, this is where we need to get going. Okay,
0: did I see another hand,
3: Danny? This has always been a difficult passage to me, too. But in verse 10, when it says, uh, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Uh, When you look at it like this, uh, in the creation, God ceased his creation, in a sense, and rested on the seventh day. So he entered his rest, that is his rest from creation we labor to enter a rest that he has given us, and that is the rest from sin that we have because of the blessing of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So we are to cease from our works, just as uh, God did from his, we are to cease sinning. So this, I think this is a way of just simply saying that uh, we are to be faithful uh, and not go back to the old law, be faithful to Christ, a warning to the Jews regarding that, and a warning to us too Ceased, we've been given the blessing of rest from sin, forgiveness of our sins. So, cease sinning. Yes. Because he goes on to say, then God sees everything uh, here in verse 12 for the word of God is quick and powerful, and so forth. God sees everything. Cease your sinning.
0: Exactly. Appreciate that. I see another hand. David, you have a, you have a come.
2: Something that occurred to me recently, this idea of rest throughout scriptures, as you say, going all the way back to the beginning, you know, God created us to require roughly eight hours out of every day for sleeping, rest. So if you think about it, that's a third of our lives. And I was wondering, why did God do that? He had the ability to create us, so we didn't need any rest at all. And I don't know about you, but come 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I look forward to that rest, pillowing my head and saying my prayers and drifting off to sleep. And I've gotten where I thank God for that rest. Because I think, and this is what occurred to me, is everything that we desire, everything that makes us happy in life, seems like it points to some, some greater eternal thing. And this rest every day, I think, should remind us of that rest that is to come. Okay. appreciate that. I want,
0: to, I, want to, I want to flip here real quick to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read verse 28, 29. And I'll go ahead and include 30. Come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you What? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I've always, in my younger, in my younger years, I've always kind of thought that when I read this passage, I've worked on a, I worked for a farmer all the way from 6th grade up through basically the time I went to college. And while we didn't have yoke that we used for animals, I've seen many of them. And I've been to been to events and in places where the yoke was utilized. From usually you would see and you look back to the old law and I think when 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 they would be, you know, these people have come to Christ these readers, the, the listeners of this writer, they've come to Christ. They would, they, would, they would hear this. They would understand, especially back from the old law, when you think about, you know, coupling a couple of animals together and yoking them together. But I've always thought to myself, you know, and looking at a yoke, how hard that would be, how difficult that would be. But I think about it in verse 28. Jesus says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. What's, the la- what's that last part mean there? Learn of me. Not just take my yoke upon you and ke- just keep living life. Learn what I expect of you. And if we don't learn what's expected of us, then that, that yoke, I believe, gets heavy. I believe that yoke can be not what we expect it to when we become Christians, I think it gets back to what Danny said with what this writer continues to bring out. What's his mission here with regard to to, to his Hebrew letter? He is trying to keep these people solid, faithful and about staying with Jesus Christ. Staying with their Christian faith and continuing and to not go back, revert back to their old ways. And so he's it's incredible the things that he continues to utilize to try to paint that picture, so that they won't fall away, they won't revert back. And you know, again, who's, I saw a hand. Did I Roger?
1: Yeah, um, Jesus is saying here that here's a free gift, but that in that free gift requires a willingness of submission, uh, uh, a work you, that you have to take on to learn of Him. And uh, I, like you, grew up on a farm, and, you know, the yokes were hanging on the barn walls, but those tractors that we ran eight hours a day, bogging the ground, um, i sure when we shut them down, they really appreciated the rest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Jason, did you have something you wanted to say? No, you, I was going to mention the passage of Matthew that that you were you already did but i think also you can go and look in verse 11 in the same chapter let us therefore be diligent and i think that speaks to the point that you're making is is diligence equals work That's diligence right. equals effort diligence i haven't got there yet. Di- so i'm sorry if i'm no, getting in no, no. of you. no no not at all i think it all ties in together That's the, right. this that past the where we start this chapter and then verse 11 bookends some thoughts that i think are Critical for us to understand that this isn't something; the rest is not going to just come to us. It's not just given to us. We can lose it um, if we if we aren't diligent. If we aren't working to ensure that we are we are pursuing that. Yeah, absolutely. Kerry has a comment.
4: Yeah, sort of in my mind, draws some parallels between God's creation, the Israelites, and us as Christians. I I don't want to lose the focus, though, on the fact of what the writer says in verse two, that it was not united by faith. So they could have gone through all the motions and done all the works, but if they did not have a core faith that God could deliver them into the promised land, because that seems to me what's resonating to me is they didn't enter the rest because they did not believe that God could deliver them. They saw the obstacles in front of them and it was only Joshua and Caleb who believed. So in our minds, I think we've got to believe and understand that we can do all the works and be as obedient as we can, but if it's not united by a core principle of faith in God's ability to deliver to us that final rest, it's, it's really all for naught. Absolutely.
0: Other hands. So when we look here in verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Again, I think just in looking at God resting and he had that rest in mind for his, for his, for mankind. Jason brought up in verse 11, he's saying, let's be diligent to enter that rest. So no one will fall. No one will, will miss that. And again, through following the same example of disobedience, those that were disobedient didn't enter, those didn't receive it. Don't be this way. Don't be someone. You've got to have and as Carrie said, the f- faith has to exist. Faith has to be predominant when it comes to your, your obedience and your submission to God. We get into verse 12, and I think this is, again, looking at th- these next two verses, when you think about the word of God being living Um, as you think about the word of God being living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I I think what I see here and what what, what I'm going to again try to try to depict this to you. When you think about the word of God and you think about what, and, and when we, th- let's, let's clarify that. What's, what's the word of God? Okay, the Bible. He's talking to Christians. Do they have the Bible? Do these individuals have the Bible? Yeah, not as we have it. But these are things that he says that this word of God is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of the soul and the spirit. And you know, when I think about that and the intricacy of that, I don't know exactly what that means. But I think about how God is able His word is able to penetrate. When you see somebody respond to the gospel, they've heard, they have to believe, they repent, they confess, they're baptized. But when we think about that word that's pierced their heart, that's pierced their their inner being, you know, both of joints and marrow. You think about your joints in your body. Think about the marrow. Some, that, that, that's involved with the blood process. And he's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, we can all look at one another and say, "Boy, phils he's a good guy. But then we can say, but I don't know his heart. I don't know his intentions. What do we see a lot of times when we look at our brother, when we look on at each other? I'm not, again, I'm thinking about God and his capability when I read this verse. What do we have the capability to do with one another? Do you know my heart? That's right. My mother used to say things to me like, actions speak, finish the sentence. Louder Louder than words. Is that true? Is that true? Is that a wife's tale? So when you think about that, Actions speak louder than words. The things we demonstrate, the things that we show, the things that we do in our life, those things, we can say we're Christians. We can say that. That can come easily across our tongue. But what do we demonstrate? See, God says, this writer says that God is able to judge the thoughts I can't do that. When you you tell me something, I take you at face value and I believe you. Until what? What would would you say that about me? Until I did something that said, whoa, he said this, but look what he's doing. God has the capability to know and judge our thoughts and our intentions, what we intend to do. We can say, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to do that. And we could be serious about that. But then if we turn around and we go right back into that, then what happens? What's our intent? Is that he knows what that is. I don't know what that is, but he knows that. He has the capability to know that. And I think that's sobering. It's striking when you think about that. Is that not impactful to think about? Just sit and weigh that for a second when it comes to your life. He knows what you think. He knows what you say. We, you know, you can say something. Obviously, we can hear that, but back it up with what your real intentions are. What your real intentions are. You see, it's possible for us to be in this congregation right now. All of us, we could be sitting here, and some of us have other intentions that might be of the world, but we don't know that unless we see something that is demonstrated that's worldly see i think when we when we start thinking about cr- being christian and a follower of god and we understand that we've got to give up things we've got to and think about these people who are on this teeter totter and they're not sure they're willing to do that if we're going to give these things up and we're going to honestly let them go that's not easy that's not what i'm saying But it's important that we understand God can see if that's our intention. And how are we going to enter that rest? The rest that we have, see, I believe there's a rest to come, and that's heaven, the ultimate rest. But I also believe that from what I'm reading here and the things that I see this reader is trying to bring out, there's a rest that we can have if we're Christians that when we let go of the world and we let go of those things that continue to enslave us, We're in a position to where we're going to find comfort. What's that? Jesus said, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. As Danny said, sin is heavy. When we sin, that's heavy, that's laying it on us. And we can let that go, and we see that, and I think that's one of the things that, and make an application that we need to understand as a church in 2023, that for us to be, in that rest on this earth right now with the Lord, we let go of some of those things that we may harbor. We let go of those things, some of those things that continue to work us over, that continue to bring us down. And then he says, There's no hidden creature, there's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. Nothing's hidden from him. He sees it all. And and that's one of the things I think we need to recognize. Like Israel and their obedience, lest be diligent, lest we fall. And again, I've covered those things. Word of God is living. God sees and knows all. And it's important that these people were to understand that. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, now he's going to go into this next section as he, he, he goes into this next section and says, therefore, and again, therefore, that word just keeps jumping out. Okay, just one second, Chris. That word keeps jumping out because of something that was just said previous, before that, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chris. So uh,
1: going back to the the word of God, and how that's called uh let me try to find that again uh yeah in verse 12 for the word of god is living or powerful sharper than any two-edged sword i wonder if this is a uh, and, and this is more of a question i don't have the answer to i wonder if uh, the word of god here is being referred to jesus uh, because in matthew chapter 10 verse 34 he said do not think that i came to bring peace on earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword and then he Talks about, uh, you know, how people will be divided against each other, um, and and if so, if it is that, um, then the part that you just went into with uh, him being a high priest that can sympathize with us, it makes sense that um, he's he's kind of leading to that. So, just a possible thought there. Appreciate that.
2: Yes, sir. Phil. Just. Just to tag on to Chris there, uh, John 1-1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yes. And that, so that kind of just tags on to what Chris just said. That's right.
0: Thank you. So, Kerry? and that is
4: the uh, passage in verse 14 where it says, Since then we have a great high priest. Well, that may not be immediately preceding it. He's actually proven Jesus as a great high priest, going back to what he's commented in chapter 2. So he may be referencing this concept that he's already
0: established. Does that make sense, yes. what I'm saying? Okay, yes. What I think we're going to see here, we saw it in chapter 2, we saw this in chapter, we're seeing it in chapter 3. He continues to introduce Christ as the high priest. What we're gonna see in chapter five, we get into seven and some some other chapters, is getting into actually some of the prerequisites or some of the things that are, as he brings out the criteria for being a high priest. They're gonna see, and again, we're we're out of time, but uh, again, he keeps continuing to bring this forth as we look at Jesus and who he is And we'll talk more about that next week in chapter 5. But it's incredible for us to realize that we have a high priest who was tempted, who's in heaven, God, deity, who can sympathize with our weaknesses, and was tempted in all things as we are, but without sin. He lived on this earth. He can reflect he can look at us he can sympathize with us when it comes to those type of things and he gives help in the time of need draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find that grace any other comments before we close appreciate your comments very much thank you